Welcome to The Mortgage Life, a space for down-to-earth conversations about how mortgages contribute to your life. Well, that sounds canned and maybe a little boring. What? There are so many parts to the mortgage industry and real estate finance we can explore and share with our listeners. Okay, you're right. You're right, Mindy. Our goal is to help secure our clients' financial future. I'm Pete Salamosi. I'm Mindy Bodwin. And I'm Sue Salamosi. We're your hosts. Welcome to The Mortgage Life. Welcome to the second episode in our GAM mortgage series. And what does GAM stand for? Getting a mortgage. Super complicated. (laughs) (laughs) We like acronyms here. So in this GAM mortgage series, uh, the first episode was talking about the application process. This episode is diving into the approval process, leading into the closing process, and then our final episode. episode in this series will be the post-funding process. So today we have a special guest with us from Lake City Law here in Vernon, Harpreet Nahal. Hi, thank you for having me on the show today. I'm trying really hard not to call you happy. (laughs) That's okay, you call me happy as well. Can I put that on the podcast? That's a great nickname. (laughs) It's a small town, Vernon, so I went to high school with happy. (laughs) We sat next to to each other in grade nine math class. Was it grade nine? Grade 11? Yeah, it's Quite, quite, quite ways. Oh, I don't want to say that. <laughs> it was just <laughs> last year. Yeah, it was last year. It was in grade nine. Just last year. <laughs> We're still 15 years old. <laughs> All right. So, Happy, do you want to introduce yourself before we dive in? Yeah. So, uh, I practice law with Lake City Law Corporation. We have a team there that primarily focuses on residential, real estate, uh, and banking work. Um, my personal background, I worked at two of the biggest firms in the country before moving back home to Vernon, which is my hometown. My practice is mostly in the development area personally, both in BC and Alberta. Our law firm definitely takes on projects for um, and transactions for individuals doing both BC and Alberta law. So we've got some clients that are moving out of Alberta into BC that we can help them on both items. That's amazing. We, we run into that issue sometimes where... You know, you have to be registered in that province in order to do the legal work in that province. And you mentioned your law firm. You started the law firm. And now you've got, uh, we've talked a lot about working with family. Your sister works with you. Yeah, Karen Deep Nahal. Yeah, she works there. She's on the ground uh, taking on most of the residential conveyancing process. We've got a great team, multiple conveyancers, uh, assistants. Uh, we even have a young runner uh, in high school that uh, smooths out transactions to get things done in time so we've got a great little team there and i think we've had a lot of your clients meet them and uh, quite the good response that's amazing and you have a young family right you were just talking about your two kids at home yeah i have a two and a four-year-old so Ooh, a lot busy. of my work yeah, exactly <laughs> you've been through it a lot of my work happens from home for good reason and uh, we also get interrupted uh, <laughs> by the kids rolling in, so <laughs> clients tend to be a lot, uh, uh, a very understanding of that these days. Amazing. Let's dive in. Shabing. Um So before we get to the closing process and talking with Harpreet about um, what that looks like from the lawyer's perspective, let's dive into the approval process. So where does that start for us? So the approval process for us starts when we have a live deal. So what is a live deal? For a purchase file, it's when you have a signed purchase and sale agreement to purchase a home. Um, For a refinance, it would be when we get to that point where we have all the documents that we need as mortgage brokers to sort of build your application. So we submit your 
file for approval to the lender. So by this point, we've already gone through the application. We've already gone through all, all the steps leading up to trying to get you an approval. Right. And we've probably collected a bunch of documents like income documents, or if you've already got a house that we are refinancing, then we might have collected some house documents. So we've started stuff, but now we're actually into that live portion. And we're going to assume that all that information is accurate. This is very critical. And if it is, then the approval process is relatively quick and easy. Right. We usually like to give ourselves a week to 10 business days to get through that approval process because it is a little bit of back and forth with the lender. And so sometimes our timeline depends on the lender's timeline. Or the appraiser. I know in the past year and a half, getting an appraiser on site to complete an appraisal and get it into the lender. I mean, I remember calling one in Kamloops. It was three to four weeks. Oh, yeah. Right. And that the appraisal is something that will be required on most files today. I would say above 95% of the files, either on purchases or refinances, will require that appraisal. And what are other factors to consider at this time? So you've sent off your purchase and sale agreement, all your docs to your mortgage broker. Your mortgage broker is working on getting your mortgage for you. You're also going to need to make the calls to set up your home insurance. Uh, we actually just did what I thought was a fabulous episode mm-hmm. on home insurance um, where we uh, chatted with Nicola Dent um, from Capri. Capri CMW. Yeah. yeah, that was episode 12. Check it out. Yeah, And of course, um, ensure that you have your trusted lawyer lined up for your closing date. Uh, That's another thing we found in the past couple of years. They are also very busy. So the sooner you talk to them, the better, I would assume. But of course, Harpreet can um, chat with us more about that in a bit. So once we have your quote unquote, big quotation marks, approval, basically that's your mortgage commitment. So the lender comes back and says, yes, we are willing to lend money to these people, based on verifying the following details. That's our part. We make sure those details get verified. Once you sign that mortgage commitment though, and we're sure that you're proceeding with that, we're gonna send that over to your trusted lawyer's office. So we work quite often with Harpreet's office because they are fabulous, they're quick in their turnaround and communication. So Harpreet, what does it look like when you receive that legal letter signed commitment from us? Yeah, so the legal letter that we receive from White House uh, mortgages will come in and give us information, commitment, what the dates of for closing are, and at that point, our office uh, we have work as a team. We have a great uh, team that will you know touch base with several people with throughout the process. The first step would be for us to provide you with a welcome letter. Uh, we like to make a touch early, early on, uh, immediately with our clients to provide them with an understanding of what to expect and also to gather information that we'll need to prepare the mortgage documentation that's required for registration and allowing the lenders to provide us the funds that will eventually get to you. So in that vein, when a client or when we reach out, there's there's obviously a, a process that you have to go through in terms of time. So when is the best time for either us or the client to get a hold of you to start that process? Like anything, having advance notice is always great. The balance there is between knowing that you're gonna go ahead with a process uh, so we can schedule you in and reserve a spot for busy times and the information being available. So generally on a purchase, once the contract of purchase and sale is signed, 
we, we would love to have that contract of purchase and sale sent over immediately. We often get uh, contracts of purchase and sale delivered post-condition waiver. At that point, the law firm is really limited in what they can do and advise on the contract itself. Title reviews become less valuable to you. Decision-making um, is already made. You're going through the process. So having the agreement when it's signed pre-condition waiver is excellent. That allows us to understand when the condition uh, closing date is, when the condition dates are, and to help you through that process. That's actually a really good point because I've noticed in some purchase and sale agreements, one of the conditions of the buyer is subject to buyer's lawyer's review and approval. When we're always thinking the lawyer comes in, as you mm-hmm. said, once conditions have been met and basically all the lawyer is doing is closing the mortgage, but there's a lot more to it than that. I have a quick question. Um, so from a seller's perspective, because the seller also needs to engage a lawyer in a conveyance, say they get an offer on their house and they send the purchase and sale agreement accepted to their lawyer and then the buyer backs out. Would there have been work that would have been done by the seller's office already? Like, So that's one of those things is that in the condition phase or the approval phase, yes, it's nice to have this advance notice, but what if that deal falls apart? That's a great question. So conveyancing rates, if you were to call law firms, notaries, get a quote for a closing of a transaction, the quote that they're giving you is generally going to be from condition waiver to closing, commitment letter in hand to closing. Work done prior to that is part of the due diligence process, part of the review process. It can also be if you don't have someone drafting up, for example, an agreement of purchase and sale in a private deal, the law firm may be preparing the actual contract for you. Those items are typically based off of hourly rates or in in some cases, a set flat rate for, for that work. If you think about it, really, if you have a professional taking care of you from the mortgage broking process, or you have a professional taking care of you from as a realtor, they'll deal with a lot of that work, due diligence, and the contract drafting. They go to school for that. They learn that they're qualified to do that on most residential transactions. So the law firm can be contacted by those professionals when they have questions. And we often do have that come through. And we're always there ready to help our referral sources, people, our team. I mean, we see it as one big team that you go and see for your, for your purchase. That might start with your mortgage broker. That might start with your realtor. We work in conjunction with those professionals to get you from wanting to do something to having it. You're speaking exactly to everything that we talk about, Mm -hmm. building a team, building a trusted team for for transactions like that, because it's a big deal buying a house, right? For sure. One of the questions that Pete asked me to think about was who should contact you, the mortgage broker or the client themselves? My thought on that is, well, of course, we're happy to hear from the client. The client, though, is paying for a professional to take them through the process and likely, I mean, not all all parties, there's different levels of sophistication as it relates to this subject matter, but the mortgage broker, your professional, is going to be very familiar with the process. They will ask the questions and provide the information in a fairly straightforward way that is consistent and gets us what we need and we know what we need to ask and it moves the process along. In either case, when we receive that information, we will be in touch with the client to break the ice, to welcome them, 
to provide some information on expectations and move forward. That's awesome. So you've used a couple of big terms and I just want to dig into those a little bit and that'll lead into our next question. One of them was due diligence. From our perspective, that basically it means doing all the things that we should do to take care of our clients. In in legal terms, is it about the same? I think the party doing the work uh, can vary. What we're really doing is turning over stones and making sure things are correct, things are in place. Uh, on a purchase, that might be understanding and ensuring that, for example, if it's well water, that there's enough water coming up to to, to facilitate living in that home. Uh, whether you have a septic tank, is it, has that been reviewed? If it, there's a pool, it's, it's about looking into the items that you will care about, about the purchase that you're making to ensure that you're getting what you are contracting for. Perfect. And the other, go ahead. Go ahead. No, the other term I was just going to um, start talking about conveyancing. Did you have another question? Yes. No, we can talk about conveyancing. What is a conveyancer? I get asked that a lot because they go from lawyer, solicitor, notary, conveyancer. What does the conveyancer do? <laughs> yeah, so a conveyancer is a, a member of the team. They have a role in the process. There's several individuals you've, you've noted. Typically, people know who the lawyer is. Uh, when the file comes in, a lawyer will review your file. A conveyancer is a paralegal slash assistant. You can see it in both ways. And what their work and what their work entails on the file is to gather the information necessary from the client and from other parties. That could be your mortgage broker, but often it will be strata corporations, insurance providers, and so on and so forth to help obtain the information necessary to fulfill the closing requirements and conditions. They are also responsible for preparing the draft forms of all of the agreements that will be signed up at closing and then to also register the completed forms at the land title office to allow for your mortgage to be registered or your purchase of your home title to transfer. That's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. That's a a big part of the puzzle there. <laughs> Certainly. And that's usually who we deal with the most from the mortgage broker perspective when we send a file over. Then we usually uh, coordinate a lot of things with, with the conveyancer, making sure instructions have landed on the correct desk. So I guess the next step is then talking about what, what those instructions look like. When I say instructions, I, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the first time I heard that before I was in mortgages, I kind of went like, what are, what's it's a, what? It, industry what, term. It's yeah. an industry term. So let's break it down. Yeah. I'm happy to do so. So instructions that we receive, the law firm receives, come from the lender's underwriter. That is the individual that is ensuring that the lender is protected. And the instructions set out what the law firm needs to do in preparing documents, preparing security for the lender. Those instructions will set out the amount to set on, put down on the mortgage, what interest rates and terms are are to be set out in the in the mortgage documentation, but they'll also have requirements for documentation that's to be prepared. And the key piece on instructions and understanding instructions from a law firm's perspective is that in most residential transactions or financings, your law firm will represent both you as the borrower and the lender themselves. So you will be giving instructions to your lawyer but your lender will also be giving instructions to your lawyer and the lawyer will be working for both of you on completing something that you've all you've decided on and that you want to have completed as has been set up by your mortgage broker. So for example, increasing your 
existing mortgage from 300000 to 400000 taking that $100,000 to pay out debts. The lender's going to list out, okay, lawyer, pay out debt X, Y, and Z. Here's what the extra proceeds are supposed to do. Um, you know, here's what your final package should look like. That's right. That's right. And the law firm will receive the instructions on how the bank wants their documentation and their protections to look before they advance those funds. I think they have a very industry and complicated way of saying, here's what we want you to confirm. Here's the things to do. (laughs) Go do the things. Confirm them. I feel like instructions is a good way to describe it, though. It's almost like literally a to-do list, right? (laughs) Make sure these things are done. Yeah, and the one thing to note on that is the lender wants to ensure that they have their risks covered. And one way of doing that is to put those risks on a law firm that is going to ensure that not only the work is done right, but provide insurance if it's not done correctly to protect the lender. And we're going to be talking more about different insurances in future episodes, yeah. <laughs> such as title insurance, which I know runs through through the lawyer's office. Yeah. But uh, so you've done a ton of work. So not only in uh, getting the, the file set up for the client, you've done a bunch of potential payouts or checks and balances, uh, and you've got the client in to sign documents. You've registered uh, that mortgage on title. Tell us a little bit about what else might come into the fees that occur, so the legal fees that you guys charge, and other costs associated with something like a conveyance? Yeah, outside of the fees that the law firm will charge for their time, other fees include costs that the law firm will pay in your behalf, which is commonly called disbursements. Items that are included in disbursements would be the Law Society of BC takes a fee for the trust administration on every file that has funds moved through a trust account of a lawyer. The land title office has fees for searching, registration, as well as there are fees for running, delivering your checks to complete the file, postage, fax, paperwork, you know, there's a cost there that is often dispersed. Now, a fee that you'll see that will be common is software fees that are used by law firms to complete the transaction in a more smooth, uh, reliable way. Sounds like there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's interesting that software comes into play. Not not interesting. I guess it, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. In the last couple of years, a lot of things have gone virtual we're relying more and more on that on that digital component not that it's a bad thing but it's just uh just uh, something to note that the, the world isn't slowing down <laughs> one person I, I forgot but you know they'll always be around is the government will take their piece as well so PST, <laughs> oh, yes, GST, yep. and, yeah. right. property transfer tax <laughs> another interesting point is that uh, another document that we will typically ask for is sometimes if someone is purchasing a property and they've just sold a property, that order to pay, which is kind of the check and balance of, of all the money coming in and going out, will be able to confirm something like a down payment and the source of that down payment. Yeah, the order to pay the previous mortgage statement of adjustments is going to have property tax amounts for the year. All those documents. It's just a wealth of information. What? Here's a question. The difference between an order to pay and a statement of adjustments, they contain a lot of the same stuff, right? That's right. One is is the statement of adjustments is a notification of all of the costs. It's essentially an accounting. It's often used as well for the same purpose of order to pay in the sense that the order to pay is a direction. 
It's a direction to the law firm as to how to use funds. Where there's overlap is the statement of adjustments shows the accounting and leads to numbers being stated at the bottom. Your cash balance to close is one of the items that will be at the bottom. And you will use that information, that document as a direction as well. So that's what creates that overlap. But the purpose of the, the documents is slightly different. One is an accounting and the other is a direction on how funds are to be moved. And the accounting, the cash balance at the end. So that's the certified check uh, money order that the client brings to you, correct? To On a purchase, that is often the case where you have your deposit and then you have a mortgage amount that is, that's coming in. And then there's a difference, which we, we often call colloquially the your down payment. Um, that amount will be provided to you and that amount will be down to the cent. And you got to understand that law firms, they have a lot of funds moved through their accounts, but none of, a lot of those funds are not theirs. Any amounts that are not theirs, they need a written direction on what to do with them. Otherwise, they can't move those funds. And that's where the order to pay and the statement of adjustments come into place to give direction. Legally, that's the purpose of a trust account. Correct. It will hold those funds in trust for you. And so when the client does their deposit with their realtor in trust, then it transfers to you in trust and that, that kind of builds the whole That's right. thing. <laughs> like, what's the word? Thing? <laughs> <laughs> I counted two right down to the penny. <laughs> I think that's explained a lot of that process. It's uh, given us some industry terms. It's made them a little bit simpler, super understandable. Thank you so much, Harpreet, for all those bits and pieces and uh, the gems that you've provided. Well, you're more than welcome. It's been a my pleasure to be here. It's a, a lot of big words and a lot of industry jargon uh, on today's episode. So trying to make it fun. Yeah. <laughs> gam. Do you sing? Happy? Like? We call it gam. I mean, that's fun. <laughs> okay. So come back for our next episode in the gam series, Getting a Mortgage. This is The Mortgage Life. We look forward to continuing the conversation. So come back and listen. 